this special edition of the weekly this is our first edition of pastors talk back i'm here with aaron markham aaron how you doing i'm doing great yeah glad um, to be here. yeah we we went through all of this once we got about five minutes in and i realized i did not hit record it seems so. to be a consistent it does uh, seem to be a little occurrence. bit of john hyatt i think that had happened to him well so maybe uh, jim slice we'll blame the edition of the video so we're we're We've talked about the importance of having face-to-face -face interaction as much as a YouTube video is face-to-face -face. And so we just wanted to just provide a peek into the what it looks like to record the weekly. So um, Hopefully I, that's recording over there because we can't see it. It is recording. Okay. Uh, it is recording. Great Now you've got me wondering. I, I'll check it. How about that? Go double check that. Yeah, as you're double-checking it Aaron, let me uh are we good? We're recording. Okay, okay. good. Recording for five minutes. I knew I hit record somewhere. All right. Um, so uh, this uh, this particular uh, little project that we're undertaking, the the pastor's talk back, was 100% Aaron's idea. So he gets all the credit for that. Um, what what is the reasoning for this? Why did you why did you come up with this idea? Why did you think this is something we should do? Yeah, I just think that as we wrestle with the scripture, um, as we are singing songs, as we're engaging with ideally what is what is true. We, we want people to be able to have the freedom to ask questions, to talk, to discuss, to be vulnerable, um, and to honestly have questions about whatever whatever is preached. Um, so just thought that this would be a good way for, for people to, to discuss that, especially also thinking about our community groups. Um, we, we usually talk about the text before we, uh, we preach it. We're not doing that in this season, but, but that's the normal. Um, so then it just allows an avenue to ask questions on the backside. Um, after hearing it preached and, and to be able to really think through um, what is true and what is good, what is right, um, and honestly honestly wrestle through that. Yeah, that's good. I, I, one of the things that I've always appreciated is having friends that I felt like I could go there with, um, if you get what I mean. Um, just be honest about what, what questions I have and what I'm struggling to understand, and friends that are just willing to be patient with me and mm. hear me mm. and um, not be freaked out by my questions but willing to willing to just help me process it. So as pastors, we want to be people that you can go there with, so to speak. You know, we want to be places that you can go with questions um, and help for, for just thinking honestly and truthfully and biblically about these questions, big and small. That's good. Um, so, yeah, we, we're, we really appreciate the questions that were submitted. Um, we, had some, we had some encouraging comments that were submitted, uh, folks just expressing thanks to the staff and everyone else who participated in getting the worship gathering piece together for us. Uh, we, we had someone just kind of reiterate how much they appreciated some of the different elements of the sermon and uh, just thanking the staff and pastors for pointing them to Jesus, um, which we're obviously thrilled to do. And, and, and we love our church and love being able to serve you guys. But we did have some really good questions. Um, the first one uh, that I thought was really, really a deep, profound question was this. As I was watching the sermon this morning, I couldn't help but think, is Trevor wearing a nice button down from the waist up and pajama pants from the waist down? I feel like the answer probably had to have been yes. Just a nice white button up from the top and maybe some, might have even been wearing just like gray sweatpants or who knows. Well, well, I'm happy to tell you that I was head to toe dressed. Well, I wasn't dressed as if I were preaching. I was wearing shorts, but I was wearing actual clothes mm. and, I, and I had shoes on. I was wearing complete clothing that's good so no uh yeah no pajama pants for me i don't i actually don't even own any pajama pants hmm. so a uh, little bit of trivia 
Christmas gift for you. Yeah. Well, I like the, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not big into pajama pants. Mm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, before that goes off in some weird directions, I, I meant to ask you this, um, Aaron. Is the reason that we're doing this podcast, this pastor's talk back, this is a, le- a leading question, uh, but it's worth worth asking. Is the reason we're doing this because we have all the answers? It is definitely not because we have all the answers. We do our best to honor the Lord, honor the scriptures, honor um, how the Lord has, uh, the minds the Lord has, has given us to, to, to think, um, but we definitely do not have all of the answers, um, and we even have a lot of questions ourselves. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's right on, right on. So we speak as those who are, um, uh, those who, along with you, say, I believe, help my unbelief, mm. um, as those who have faith, seeking understanding, who want to who want to grow grow deeper, uh, want to know Jesus uh, with our hearts and our minds more fully. Um, and so, as we think through these questions, we hope you hear a heart here as uh, fellow pilgrims, um, those of us who uh, maybe have thought about this and have a little bit more clarity than those that submitted the question, but certainly not folks who have figured it out. Um, very much still want to learn and grow and continue to learn to to devote ourselves to Jesus, even with our even with our intellects. So, uh, the first question is this: Can you speak to the collateral damage of God's wrath? I believe some Christians miss or choose not to think that part of God, part of God's will, I think it says there, may inflict suffering and death on Christians as well. Or maybe uh, part of God's judgment may inflict suffering and death on Christians as well. So how are we to think about the fact that when uh, when God judges, sometimes Christians are collateral damage of that? Mm. Um, do we Are there any biblical examples of that? Is that is that a correct way of understanding what's happening? Um, and then how do we, what sense do we make of suffering and death in the life of a believer? And mm. in, in, in the life of a believer, I should mm. say. I think one thing that just articulate from the, from the forefront is that life, life definitely doesn't happen in isolation. Um, maybe we get a little taste of, of it in the Old Testament where Israel is kind of separated from the rest of the world in, in a unique way at certain times and in certain periods where certain things happen to Israel that don't happen to the rest or certain things happen to the rest that, that don't happen to Israel. Um, but I think um, in, our, in our day where we are now, especially on this side of Christ and on this side of, of the church starting 2,000 years ago, the, the church is not geographically located like Israel is yeah. and was. Um, we are spread out around the world, places of you know places where um, you're not allowed to, to worship um, freely, places where you're allowed to worship freely, places that um, it, just all kinds of places. The church is spread out everywhere. Um, so I think I think life and even specifically life for the believer does not happen in isolation from the world or mm. from mm. Uh, non-believers or from any judgment that is to come we're very much intertwined with that and also even just thinking israel was very much an an ethnic kind of if you're if your dad is a is an israelite you're an israelite um and you and it kind of falls in your family that very much is not necessarily the case for christians um it's not necessarily even intertwined family wise so um we can even be broken over um deaths of of loved ones close loved ones that are not believers um, that are going to face an eternal judgment that um, really breaks our hearts in yeah. many ways. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so you're saying that there, there's a the world is just a very different place than it was in the world of the Old Testament. Mm. The, both in terms of um, the fact that the world is more globalized than it's ever been, like the geopolitical climate is just fundamentally different than it was in the in the Old Testament. Um, but in addition to that, some really important things have happened in redemptive history. Mm. Uh, God is now the God of He's always been the God of the nations, but in a fulfilled, more complete way, He's the God of the nations. That's right. So there's not. Uh, a really particular group that he's working with and in, in, in the same uh, a really particular ethnic group that he's working with or devoted himself to uh, in the present day like he was back then. So th- the world's a very different place. And so it, it makes it difficult to have really clean lines of um, uh, even in some ways who's being judged and, and who isn't being judged. That's right. Um, is it, is it proper to say that Christians can be judged? Mm. Is there any, is it, could we maybe slice that a little bit thinner to provide a little bit more clarity, you think? Mm. Mm. That's good. I think, um, I think we, we, we recognize that judgment is to come, but the judgment has been poured out on Christ. Yeah. That, that Christ has, has borne the, the wrath of God, taken the judgment that, that uh, God now looks upon us as if we have the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. So, so Jesus I'm, was like capital J judged, judged for, for us. Yeah, exactly. Cross. And we will we will not be judged as a result of of that. Um, but I think helpfully we could talk about Christians being disciplined, um, mm-hmm. being being corrected, uh, being being challenged. Um, the Lord kind of uh, exhorting us, pushing us in a different in a different uh, direction than maybe we were pursuing prior. Um, so there's very much, I think, maybe a difference between judgment and discipline. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe we could say judgment as condemnation. Mm. There's, there's a difference between like a Christian. A Christian can never be condemned. A mm. true Christian can never be condemned because they because Jesus took their condemnation. Mm. But a Christian can be disciplined. Mm. You know, think of like passages like Hebrews 12 where it talks about the Father disciplining the church and dis- disciplining his people using hardship and even bringing hardship on us for, for a, to test and purify us, you know, in, in the way that a father would. Um, but that is a fund- fundamentally different thing than condemnation. Um, I think Romans 8.1, you know, I quoted it in the sermon on Sunday. There's no condemnation for mm-hmm. those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus bore that condemnation. What about, what about things like the coronavirus? I mean, do you... Um, do you think if someone were to say, "Is God judging us?" Is that what the coronavirus is? Mm. How would you respond to that? Mm. I think I would be very hesitant to go to go there because we yeah. we see judgment in the scriptures, but but we know it's we know it's judgment because it's told to us yeah. in the Holy Spirit led and created uh, scriptures. Yeah. Whereas um, today. We we might I, I would be hesitant to say we have enough wisdom or enough clarity to say judgment for has sure. Come. This is judgment, yeah, from God. Yeah, yeah. Or like I remember uh, Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. Some televangelist was famous televangelist uh, made waves by talking about Katrina as you know divine punishment for the decadence of the city of New Orleans and. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm just really hesitant to go there mm-hmm. and say with any kind of, with any kind of uh, conviction that this is, you know, for sure judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the Lord uses natural disasters and things like that in the scriptures as judgment. But 
we, like you said, we're also told uh, by God himself that those things are judgment. And yeah. it, it just seems, I don't know, unwise, unhelpful to, to go there. Though it's, we can't rule that out. Correct. But, but yeah. And it could be, it could be that when we are able to look back, you know, some years later or when we're in eternity or whatever the case is, but to be, to say clearly 100% it is judgment, mm. I would be very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, but what about suffering and death in the life of a Christian? I mean, is there, um, you know, you talked about just the just the reality of the world, how just being in the world means we're subject to things like suffering and death, and mm. um, that's just the reality of, of life east of Eden. Mm. Um, but how should we interpret those things? What what uh, I don't know what what good is there in suffering and death for the believer? Mm. Mm. That's a good question. I think. Um, specifically in, in thinking about suffering and we're going to talk about that more with with some of the other questions that come up is is just suffering um it really challenges us honestly it, it brings us to the to the forefront of what do we think what do we believe what do we feel um in many ways I, i've had a number of conversations with believer or with uh, members of our church just in the last week and it feels like logically that the best way the world would exist is just comfortable yeah easy you know, maybe everybody gets exactly 100 years. Yeah. Um, it's Very kind cush. Of, yeah, bliss. Years. Just nice, comfortable. Yeah. That seems like what? Like, why would that not be the way it is? That that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, but then it's also you know kind of the same way. Why when I eat Culver's and cheeseburgers and custard, why do I not get slimmer and stronger and fitter? Hmm. Some ways because it's like well, I'm partaking in this this. This good thing, but but to to have this other, you know, maybe a, a fit body or or to be a certain weight or whatever, you kind of have to suffer for it. Yeah. Um, really, anything that is good in this world, um, maybe as a result of sin, maybe just as a result of, of where we are, you almost have to suffer for um, most things that are good. People will have suffered. Yeah. Um, maybe not to. There's different levels of suffering. Obviously, death can be one level of suffering. Just trial and hardship, physical, bodily difficulty could be one level. Um, but kind of anything worth, worth kind of anything worth anything is almost worth suffering for. Yeah. And we see that maybe most clearly in Christ, yeah. um, what he did for us. That's good. That's really good. And so all suffering and all death and all hardship, you know, to kind of go back to the discipline category, we can interpret that as coming to us from the hand of a loving father mm-hmm. and that there's a, it's an opportunity for us, an occasion for us to grow in faithfulness, to grow in selflessness, to grow in greater love for God, grow, deeper love for neighbor. Mm. Um, yeah, it's an avenue to, to be strengthened. Um, and the scriptures are really clear that to follow Christ, I mean, is to take up a cross and to suffer and experience mm. hardship. Um, and, you know, uh, to maybe, maybe to kind of pivot into our, to another question, um, that is, that has been one, so, so this third question, we're going to skip over the second question or the, uh, we're going to get to the fourth. What am I trying to say? Fourth we're going to go question. to another question and then Great. we have another question after this. All right. Great. So there we go. So, uh, this one questioner said, why would God allow evil such as Boko Haram, genocide, Hitler, etc.?" And one proposed answer to that question was suffering and evil is a, uh, it's how to grow in virtue. And that, that is, a way to make sense of some of the suffering that we experience, but that is completely inadequate to answer um, 
completely inadequate to give a full account of all suffering because, I mean, what do you do with the fact that there is just really gratuitous evil out there in the world? Mm. Uh, child cancer, childhood cancer, and, and like Boko Haram, you have filling stadiumfuls worth of people of victims. Yeah. Um, One thing I love about this that, or maybe not love, is you at the beginning said about do we do we have all the answers? Uh, I am actually the one who offered this question with my wife. Casey actually came up with it, and so we were just thinking through this, and I was like, "Well, I don't know. We we need to we this need to talk you. about this. This is me. I, I hadn't told you until this moment. Nice. So, well, it was really Casey. Casey was Casey nice. was the one that after after preaching through Nahum or reading through Nahum was yeah. Why 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 is there evil? Why why is this the way there is? Um, and I was like, I bet Trevor has some good answers. So let's <laughs> ask him. Are you spinning this back on me now? Yeah, now I'm spinning <laughs> it back on you. Well, all right, so this is this is kind of what we talked about a moment ago. And uh, um, I think this question is really powerful for two reasons. Um, I think there's a, a kind of logical strength to this question. It feels very reasonable. Mm-hmm. And then there's kind of an emotional impact That's of good. this question. Yeah. So the logical side of it is... Um, Maybe you've seen this before. Maybe I can put up a graphic on the video, but uh, you can take, you can build out a syllogism that says something like, if God is all-powerful and God is good, benevolent, um, and evil exists, then the conclusions that we must draw are either that God isn't all-powerful, mm-hmm. that God isn't good, or that God does not exist. Correct. Um, so if you if you kind of build out the argument, it's like if, if God is all all good, benevolent, if God is all-powerful, evil exists, that seems to create a problem, just logically. Correct. One one of those three things would not be able to be. One has to give. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the emotional impact comes from, I mean, we just look at the suffering that we experience. Um, you know, I, I have never, never experienced anything as tragic as, I mean, Boko Haram or, or um, something like the Holocaust or, mm. or just the endless, awful human things. Uh, things that have happened in human history. Mm. Um, it's, it's just really easy to see how, how devastating and, and hard and hard doesn't even begin to describe, man, just how deeply disturbing and sick and evil a lot of that is. Um, and so that question also has a lot of emotional oomph for that reason. And so you can kind of approach it on both the logical, logical terms and you can approach it in emotional terms. Yeah, that's good. So, um, you, so, so yeah, so logically, I think we, we were we were discussing a little bit ago that the that the hidden premise that is not there is that if if evil appears pointless to me, then it must be pointless. <laughs> um, that that there's this um, if we can't make understanding of all evil, if it's not super clear to me, then um, then obviously that syllogism that you laid out kind of must be the way it is. Um, so if we were to if we were to draw out that hidden premise and kind of rework the syllogism, it would be something like, um, if God is benevolent, if God is you know all good, mm. if God is all powerful, evil exists. If God has a reason for evil, He would have made it plain to us. Yeah, correct. Therefore, God does not exist. Yes, something like that. Something like that. But He, we 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 don't necessarily know in our day in our time why every piece of evil. Um, has worked the way they, that mm. it has. We do know with some, I'm thinking of, of Genesis with Joseph. 
Joseph goes through misery, suffering, there's plagues, there's seven years of no food, there's all this stuff that happens, and then Genesis 50, 20, um, you know, essentially that everything worked out. What you, The evil you meant for bad yep. was actually meant for good. Mm, God intended it for good. Mm, that's good. And and we know, yeah, so, so it is possible that there is some reason for evil to exist that God has not disclosed to us. Correct. Um, and if that's the case, then that kind of answers the logical side of the problem. But then there still remains kind of the emotional oomph of this question. Mm. You know, why would God allow tremendous evil from Boko Haram to childhood cancer and, and COVID-19. Mm. Um, I was actually a couple of years ago, I uh, had a high school friend die of a pulmonary embolism. Um, mm. He just, he just essentially dropped dead in his driveway. Um, he graduated high school with me and Zach Gilliam. Um, and it was, it was awful um, and, and shocking. He had a baby that was only a couple of months old mm. and it was, it was kind of a, just a worst case scenario situation. And uh, he was a part of a church plan in Knoxville, a buddy of mine. And uh, when we went to the funeral, he just, the pastor just handled it so, so, so well. Um, What he said was, you know, when it comes to why God allows evil and suffering and death to take place, we really don't, we don't know Mm. why God does. Um, But we can rule out, um, we can say that we know it's not because God doesn't love us. Mm. We know it's not because God is powerless. Mm. We know it's not because God is aloof. Because Jesus. Mm. Because in Jesus, God himself draws near to us. He takes on all of the misery of, of the human experience. I mean, I think often about, you know, I don't know. I'm not a infectious disease expert, but, you know, I... I assume that Jesus got colds and mm. stomach bugs mm. and ate, you know, bad fish every now and again, you know, and had friends and loved ones die. I mean, John 11, Jesus mm. weeping over Lazarus. Yep. He has wept. He has experienced death. Joseph is not mentioned in Jesus's adult life. It's probably because Joseph died mm. when Jesus was younger and between being 12 and when his ministry began um, or left his family, you know, whatever, whatever it is, yeah. uh, Jesus experienced loss. Mm. Um, and so when it comes to making emotional sense of the question of the problem of evil, what really gives us a better answer to conclude mm. there is no God. We just have to come to terms with the raw evil and suffering of the world or the answer that is we don't know why God allows it to exist, but God drew near to us in the thick of it mm. um, and has done something about it in That's Jesus right. dying and being raised again. That's Does right. that make sense? Yeah. It's a beautiful picture even just in Matthew 1. Jesus is given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And he's also given the name Emmanuel, Mm. God with us. Mm. And the combination of those two things means God has come to be with us. He will save us from our sins. Mm. And the way that occurs is the death, burial, resurrection of of Christ. But it was death. It was crucifixion. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Even I was reading a quote earlier that Tim Keller just said, in Jesus Christ, God experienced the greatest depths of pain. So God has experienced pain. Christ has experienced pain. Um, there, the, God is not separate or just apart from pain. Um, he's very much come and been involved in it. Mm. Um, Jesus is the is the sacrifice that is good once and for all times. 
Mm. Um, but he's a sacrifice, not a, not just like a, you know, pat on the back, mm. you know, allowed us in, opened the door. He had to be sacrificed. Mm. Mm. Man, that's really good. Really good. There's a Dorothy Sayers quote. Um, she says something to the effect of, you know, whatever, whatever the Lord's up to, whatever. I think the way she says it is whatever game he's playing. And she, she doesn't mean that negatively, but whatever, whatever game he's playing mm. and kind of setting the world up this way, he himself has played it. Mm. Um, it by subjecting himself to it. Yeah, that's good. So that, yeah, that's, that is really good. I think, and also thinking about, again, I posed the question, but, or my wife posed the question, but I love, this is one, a topic I'm, Cracks me up. Man. I'm always happy to talk through. <laughs> I purposely have not told you that for the last couple of hours. Um, is is even just, you know, obviously I'm a, I, my wife and I are a believer asking the question, but this is especially an issue for for non-believers. Yeah. Um, and I love, um, Robbie Zacharias is, a, is super helpful for me in thinking about, um, in thinking about good and evil. Um, and when a non-believer would come and say, you know, pose some of these issues about, well, evil exists, so clearly God doesn't. Um, I was just going to read a real short paragraph that, that he has. It's kind of kind of for, honestly, it's kind of a syllogism almost. Uh, when one asserts that there is such a thing as evil, one must assume there is such a thing as good. So for evil to exist, there kind of has to be the opposite yeah. um, good uh, to, to exist in some way. When one assumes that there is such a thing as good, he or she must also assume that there is an objective moral law by which to distinguish between good and evil. So if good exists, we've got to be able to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. When you assume an objective moral law, you must posit a moral lawgiver, the source of the moral law. But of course, this moral lawgiver is precisely who atheists wish to disprove. Um, and so then they're, they're going to go on to retort you know, a couple of different ways. But, but for evil to be there means we we believe there's good mm-hmm. um, out there for there to be good means we believe there's some kind of standard moral mm-hmm. objective universal universal way that we can measure that and then for that to be there it it's it seems that someone would have to have put that in place something someone some being um, had to put that in place that that doesn't just exist independently of itself yeah um so I think even even in this being even to our next question, kind of an evangelistic endeavor to talk about evil, um, usually evil is is actually going to point to good. Yeah, um, it, as well. it presupposes some basis by which we determine what is good and evil. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's that's really that's a really helpful point. I've heard somebody and that and again that's sort of I guess more the logical how we would approach this question logically. Correct. Um, I heard someone make the point that if Christians have the problem of evil, quote unquote, then those who reject belief in God have the problem of good. Hmm. They have to they have that's to be good. able to articulate some defense of why there is why there is good and why there is evil to begin with. Yeah. Um, that's helpful. That's really helpful. So the the last question that we'll we'll work through. Did you submit this one too, Aaron? I did. I did not. Submit time this time one. to out yourself if you did. Um, how can this passage be used? Speaking of, of Nahum one one through eight, and I think this passage and maybe some of the some of the ideas related to God's judgment more generally. How can this passage be used to give hope and truth to those around us who are not believers? Mm. Hmm. What would you say to that? I think I think one thing that um, I, I think the most clear thing is that all wrongs 
will be righted, hmm. that there is justice, that the new heavens and the new earth are coming. You know, tears will be wiped away. Hmm. Uh, wrongs will be made right. I think the, the unbelie- our, our kind of unbelieving um, friends, most of them, kind of back to this point of even evil and, and good, are, are desire good yeah. um, to some extent. Um, they they want evil to be um, corrected, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, an interesting point that that you and I were discussing is is just how we measure what what is evil. Um, most most often it's like, well, I'm I'm I am better. I'm a better person than than Hitler or those who participate in Boko Haram or whatever it is. But really, the the scale is not. Am I a little bit better? Did, have I done a you know a better job than those guys the scale is is god's perfection and god's goodness um and when that is the case in many ways all humans are on a very equal playing field of we're all sinful yeah to the depths of our heart and soul so maybe some of us participate in one clear outward sin some of us participate in very closed private sin um but we are all sinful yeah Um, and so all all wrongs will be all wrongs will be will be made right. Um, yeah. So you're saying so from an evangelistic standpoint, uh, you can what we can appeal to is the uh, there's a there's a guy named Sam Chan. Yes. Uh, yeah. He, have you read that book? Evangelism? I, I, I have not. I have it pulled up on my uh, on my browser to get it at some point. Dude, I got it in the mail last week. Perfect. It's great. Yeah. I've been reading um, a little bit of it, but he talks about. Um, gospel presentations that are framed like resonance, dissonance, gospel solution. Hmm. And so resonance is what's the thing, what's the common ground? Hmm. What can we both affirm? Hmm. What can we kind of side by side point to and say, yeah, we both long for that. Yeah. Um, and then, then how, then can we, how can we turn into kind of a confrontational, but here's the, here's the problem. Yeah. And then here's the, how Jesus is the solution. That's good. And so with this topic, the resonance is like, all of us are homesick for a place that we feel like we've been, but we're just on the outside of. Yep. We, we all long for a return to Eden, or even better than a return to Eden, you know, entrance into the city of God. Mm. We, we, all of our desire for good and beauty and, and truth and, and, and all of those things, wrongs being righted, you know, justice raining down. Correct. Um, all of us long for that. And it's evidenced by the fact that all of us, well, it's evidenced by the fact that the question about God allowing evil mm. is even a thing. Mm. That's that's a testament that we, we desire goodness and justice to triumph. That's right. Um, th- that's the resonance. But the, the dissonance is in the point that you're making. The problem is not that not that we're on the outside of those that are being judged. You know, there's those that are being judged over there that God needs to go do something about. That's right. The, pro- yeah. the, the, the dissonance is the fact that I'm, I'm among that group Correct. that need judgment. That's very good. Um, and, that's uh, very accurate. And so the, the, the option then becomes um, you, your sin needs to be judged, and you can either let God himself bear that weight for you in Christ, or you can stand before God and endure the consequences of your judgment. Um, so it's like bow the knee now, mm-hmm. profess Christ, receive grace, mm-hmm. or bow the knee then through gritted teeth and, and be sent to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know... I, there's probably wisdom in not saying it quite that flatly and kind mm-hmm. of bluntly in an evangelistic situation, but that's, I think that is one of the ways that we can kind of maneuver the conversation is, you know, we, we all long for justice. We all long for goodness. The problem is we, we are not just and good. Correct. 
but God shows grace to those of us who would who would repent and believe. Mm. Mm. Anything you'd add to that? No, that's so good. Yeah, we we are all um, we're all evil. Why? You know, we we would ask the question. You know, obviously there's there's murders that are in heaven. There's yeah. You know, I would assume there's child rapists that are in heaven yeah. because they've they've turned. They've mm. they've looked upon Christ, and mm. we could easily be like, why why didn't God just pour out His wrath upon them because they deserved it? Mm. But then equally, even though maybe our maybe some of us do not have our sin as as outward or maybe as clear um, as genocide or murder or something of the sort, we all really are on an equal playing field of mm. sinful. Um, mm. You know, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, um, no, not one. Not even a single person. Only Christ. And so we have to look to Christ. We have to have our faith in Christ. Um, so the you know, yeah, dirtiest, rottenest scoundrel can be found with God in heaven for all eternity because he or she turns to Christ. Mm. Um, and so that, I mean, that maybe that's a good place for us to end is this question of reflection. How, how big is your gospel? Mm. How big is Jesus? Mm. And how, how effective really is Jesus's death? Is Jesus's death big enough to account for your sin? And is it big enough to account for the sin of someone like Harvey Weinstein, you know, mm-hmm. like if, if he were to repent and believe the gospel, like I pray that he would, you mm-hmm. know, and that he would, he would find pardon in Jesus. And, and do we believe that the gospel is big enough, even for someone like him, mm. um, even for our enemies, those that we despise? Um, yeah. How strong is Jesus's blood? Yeah. That's good, man. This was really good. Uh, any, any final words in addition to that? No, this has been great. Hopefully this is helpful. Um, Feel free to keep sending us questions, and we'll do do our best to give answers. Yeah. Or I'll keep sending questions um, and <laughs> trying to come up with my own answers I'll to my sneak own questions. Some questions in there too. <laughs> I didn't know that was allowed. Yeah, Man. it's allowed. I was listening just like everybody else. It's like part of the church. The so yeah, right on. Really, it was my wife though. She she's the one that always has good questions. Shout out to Casey Markham. That's right. She's great. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, we look forward to doing this again soon. And uh, in the meantime. Good to see you. We're kind of we're kind of boring to watch. We didn't really yeah. move much. Um, well, next time we'll get some movement going. Yeah, great. I got up. It's true. There. Good point. Um, cool. Well, thanks for listening. Grace and peace to you, church. We will talk to you next time.